Welcome to the Field Goals Podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz. Our Seattle Seahawks are 4-0 for the second time in franchise history. The last time they did it was in 2013 when they came from 17 points back in the second half. That game needed overtime. This was a little bit different. Up 31-15 with about four minutes left. Dolphins get a late score to make it an eight-point game in the end. And joining me here to talk about the win, Dana O'Gorman of Real Hawk Talk and Our Turf Football. Welcome to the show, Dana. Another 10 a.m. Pacific start time win for our Seattle Seahawks. You know, it's been a lot of fun to watch these guys play on the East Coast this year, which is not normally how it is when we have those early starts. But yeah, today's game definitely had its roller coaster moments. But, you know, toward the end, you just knew that Seattle would figure out a way to pull it out. You say it's not normal, but I, after four straight years of just winning in this 10 a.m. start slot, it, it's, it is starting to feel normal. The last time they lost at a 10 a.m. start, it was against the New Orleans Saints in 2016. Oh my gosh, I guess I didn't realize it was that long ago. <laughs> Isn't it crazy? It is kind of crazy because, you know, there that's one of the dreaded things that comes out when the schedule comes out is how many 10 a.m. starts yeah, does a West Just Coast chop team those have. up to wins from now on, Dana. Yeah, <laughs> we're just going to mark them in the win column and be done with it. A great game for our Seahawks. Russell Wilson, he has another big day for the most part on the stat sheet. It could have been a whole lot bigger. But gosh, when I think of the offense in this game, the play that I'm going to remember the most, Dana, is the DK Metcalf almost touchdown at the end, pushing the defender to the ground, nearly getting in for a 30 yard touchdown at the end. Eventually, they're able to punch it in with Chris Carson. But uh, DK Metcalf on the day, how about his performance? Well, I think after last week's little bobble, for lack of a better word, was out to prove something, to prove that, you know, he wouldn't make those mistakes again, which we already knew, of course. He had a great day, 106 yards, which is funny because I saw a lot of people on Twitter saying they didn't think that he was having that great of a day and still ended up with 106 yards, with, of course, the long being that 37-yard pass catch. But here's the thing. I think it was the fight at the end of that play you're talking about, yeah. where he was fighting to get to that end zone. That really shows what kind of player he is and 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 how deeply he wants to impact this team. Well, and the speed down the sideline, breaking away from the linebackers. Yeah, if he doesn't step out just at the two-yard line, I think it was, he, he gets in for the score there. Then Russell Wilson has three touchdowns on the day. He ends up staying ahead of Peyton Manning's pace on his 55-touchdown season. But instead, Russell, he, he has to settle for the tie. And I think while we're talking about DK Metcalf, people saying that he had a down day, it's because he did miss one pass that hit his hands, which... I hear a lot of people saying, oh, he dropped it. Well, the defender did just nail him at the exact same time he was catching the football. So you do have to give some credit to the defense in those bang-bang plays. That is one thing about Seattle fans. They don't often give <laughs> credit to the defense from the other team. You know, they lay it, you know, all the blame at the, at the feet of the player um, in Seattle uniform. But that's not always the case. And I think that the secondary of Miami there were some question marks surrounding it without question, but they played really well today. And you could just see that the way that they blanketed Metcalf and, and Tyler Lockett for that matter. And so I think they were ready. They were ready to for DK specifically. Yes. Now, Tyler, Tyler had a drop in this game. Yeah, <laughs> he did. yeah there's no there's no wrong there. But uh, just four targets for him on the day and two catches, 39 yards on the day. But yeah, his his favorite target was Greg Olson today. Five catches, 35 yards. And not not a ton of yardage going Greg Olson's way, but the it was the key moments where he went to Olson mm -hmm. on a couple big third down conversions that they needed. 
It's so true. And there's that one play that um, Olsen, where he was going down as the ball was coming to him and he bobbles it all over his chest and then he clutched it. I said, that shows the, his level um, of what Greg Olson is. He is a professional. He's a veteran. And a lot of times those plays, you just don't see those a lot from the young guys. You see them from those veterans who've been there in the moment. They know how to do it. And he knew to keep that ball and to not roll over so there would be any question about whether or not he caught that ball. So that was impressive. And I think that's what Seattle brought Greg Olson in to do was for those exact moments. Two touchdown passes, as I mentioned on the day for Russell Wilson, finishes with 360 yards on 34 attempts, 24 completions. The two touchdowns, one of them went to Travis Homer. That was Travis's first touchdown of his career. And the other one to David Moore with another bit of excellent footwork in the back of the end zone to get his feet down and get the touchdown. You know, it's pretty obvious how often Seattle plays those back of the end zone games during or it plays during practice because all of their receivers are so fantastic at them. And he knew he flat footed as he fell just to make sure that that bat, that front foot got in and it was perfectly placed. It, David Moore had a day. Let's just put it that way. He did. Well, the, the touchdown in the back of the end zone and then the big 57 yard completion with, you know, right before the end of the first half where you see the Seahawks getting the ball with 30 seconds left and you're going, OK, well, are they going to try and do something or are they going to let the clock run down and go into the half with just a, a small lead? But, yeah, the, the Dolphins leave him wide open. And 57 yards down the field, and uh, they're able to to get into the end zone after that. A lot of people I saw online were saying that that was kind of the antithesis of what this new Seahawks offense is. That, you know, maybe a few years ago, we would have seen Russell Wilson kneel that out for the halftime and just gone in. But they wanted it. So, as they said on the broadcast, how do you go 75 yards in 26 seconds? That's how you do it. You throw 57 <laughs> yards down the field to David Moore. And so I think that that was really the perfect ending to that first half. And the other nice moment from David Moore in this game was his, was that, well, I guess that was actually counted as a shovel pass because I don't see him in the Russian column, but uh, when he bounced it outside and, and got around the defenders, he had a nice lane, the tight end opened up a, a nice lane so where he could cut it in, but he still bounced it outside, able to get away from the defenders and take it upfield. He definitely took the hard way around that. But I was like, I think it's interesting that my, that Miami player that was there almost had him. He just about had his feet, but he just, the Miami players feet slipped out up from underneath of him. And, and then he ends up with a huge game. Okay. Have we, have we given the passing game sufficient enough credit? Can we move on to Chris Carson in this game, Dana? Because Carson, we didn't even know if he was going to play in this game after getting that, that dirty, dirty leg twist from Tristan Hill, who only got fined like 6,000 for the leg twist. And then another 6,000 for the helmet to helmet on Russell. We didn't know he was going to play. It ends up being Carlos Hyde who goes inactive on the day. And so you're wondering, gosh, is Homer going to get majority of the snaps? Is DJ Dallas going to get majority? No, Carson goes 16 carries, 80 yards, averages five yards per carry. Two touchdowns on the day and then another 20 yards through the passing game. 100 yards total for Carson on the day. I I can't be more impressed after uh, just not knowing the status of his health throughout the week. Well, and then throughout the game. So not only did we not know it throughout the week and then he starts, then he gets completely, you know, slammed. And when he fumbled the ball, supposedly, and, and he then did fumble, he's out. But Posick was there yeah. to jump on it. Yeah. But then it was like, 
okay, so is he coming back? Is he not coming back? And then it was hilarious on the broadcast. I'm sure you all heard. They're like, oh, look, Chris Carson's in. Like they thought he was done for the day. And then he even surprised the announcers and was there right at the beginning of the second half. You know, here's the thing with Chris Carson. I think we're all a little gun shy with him because he does have this injury history. And so we're all just waiting for that moment when, you know, something's going to happen to him. But he has been really resilient this year and, and impressive exactly what we need from him this year, even with the increase in the passing that they're doing, you know, he still ended up with 20 yards passing. I mean, that's still fantastic at a hundred yard day total. So um, I think that Chris Carson is, is giving Seahawks fans exactly what they want and what the team needs in the pa- in the run game. Yeah. And anyone who had any questions at all about the health of his knee or his ankle or his leg, it was right after that David Moore bumping it to the outside, hurdling a guy where Chris Carson bumped it to the outside and hurdled a, a, another Dolphins defender. And gosh, he must have been five, six feet in the air when he hurdled the dude. Yeah. So, yeah, I think his I think his leg's fine. I think I think his leg is just fine. And, you know, I, I get that a lot of people were angry that, you know, the Dallas player was only fined, what was it, $13,000 in total. Yeah, he, it was a nasty play. He should have been fined more. But more importantly is Chris Carson is OK. And that's what we need from him. Definitely good to see Chris Carson get a full slate of carries in this game. And also good to see, hearing from Pete Carroll in the post-game press conference, that the team came out of this game relatively healthy, especially when you compare it to the first three games of the season. We talked about the offense. Let's talk about the defense, Dana, coming up next. Talking to Dana O'Gorman of Real Hawk Talk and Our Turf Football. The Seahawks get the win 31-23 down in Miami. And let's talk a little bit about the defense. One of the things that impressed me a lot about this game, Dana, was their ability to hold tight end Mike Gusecki in check in this game. I thought that if there was going to be any receiver that was just going to have a day against this defense, it would be him. But instead, only one catch and 15 yards. You know, Seattle, historically, and I'm going to say historically over the last five plus years, tight ends have been a nemesis for them. They have struggled against tight ends. And so I think that, it, you know, it's logical for Seattle fans to to be a, a, be wary of tight ends. But you're right. They absolutely did. They, they held him to just the one catch, just the 15 yards. It, he had three targets and, you know, the other dropped the other two. So you could tell that that was a focus from the Seattle defense. Now, did the defense struggle in other areas? Yes, but without question, they completely held probably the, I wouldn't say the best weapon because Devontae Parker, even though he was out for a good chunk of the game, is definitely their best weapon, but one of their best weapons completely in yeah, check. Yeah, Devontae Parker did finish the day 10 catches, 110 yards overall. Everybody else, you know, it was mostly Ryan Fitzpatrick spreading the ball around. Bobby Wagner for the defense, 12 tackles on the day. K.J. Wright had a couple big uh, screen stops in this game. I don't know why other teams try and run uh, screens against K.J. Wright because they're going to get one of their players hurt one of these days. And I know people say that K.J. slowing down out there, but he still knows how to diagnose those screens. Oh, without question. I, I, I would love for someone to tell K.J. Wright to his face that he is slowing down because that would be hilarious to watch. But I will say this. KJ had three interceptions and they were right there. Two of them were in his hands. It was so frustrating, but I think that he was more frustrated than any of yeah, us. Could have he been. had, uh, he missed a couple, but the Seahawks did get a couple 
the first uh, on the very first drive by the Dolphins, we see an interception go to Ryan Neal, who ended the last game against the Cowboys with the interception. And it felt like, what was that then, four plays later that he had his second interception for the Seahawks? And uh, what, tied for the team lead now probably with Shaquille Griffin. <laughs> I, I, I said after the last game, I said, who's Ryan Neal? Because he's not my favorite. <laughs> well, then again, the, in the beginning of this game, okay, I know who Ryan Neal is and he is still my favorite. I love this kid. He has a spark and a jump and you can just tell he's, so excited to be on the field. It is so, he's a lot of fun. There to was watch. one check down to a receiver or the running back in this game where he just wanted to go in to blow the guy up where I thought he probably could have had another interception and taken it to the house. Mm -hmm. I guess I couldn't be too frustrated with him having, having two interceptions already. Yeah, we'll let it go. Right. Shaquille Griffin <laughs> intercepting Ryan Fitzpatrick as well. Nice to see him on the board. That must match his what career high already just through four games of the season now. I think you might be right. I don't have that stat for sure, but I think well, you I want to say right. that it was only two because I I had a bet with the Rams podcast one year that Shaquille Griffin was going to have more interceptions than Marcus Peters or, or whoever the top guy was for the Rams about two years ago. And I think Peters finished the season with three and, and Griffin finished with two. So that's why two sticks in my mind for some reason with Shaq. But uh, nice to see him get that, uh, although he he is kind of struggling, I think, through the first part of the season. But Overall, it was nice to see the team kneel down at the end rather than having to worry about a big play by the defense for once. Right. As we all, you know, lament, why can't we just have one game where we blow somebody out? I always think back, and I'm sorry, Buffalo Bills fans, you know I love and adore you, but that Buffalo game all those years back where we were up like 54 <laughs> to 10 or something, it was so nice. We haven't had a game like that in so long, and I think that Seattle fans would really love that. But to be honest with you, Vans should have known better. Seattle has always struggled in Miami. This is not an easy place, actually just Florida in general. And that is not an easy place to go. And I think, and I, we might talk about this later, but I think that Miami is a better team than their record says, um, or by the end of the season, they're definitely going to be. But back to Shaquille Griffin, this is his contract year. And the first few games he was not showing that he deserved a giant contract. He was definitely struggling. And now you can kind of see him coming into his own a little bit. That um, defended pass in the end zone that would have put my own, that was huge. I mean, it was just such a huge moment. And so that's what we need to see more of, especially if he is wanting a big contract, which I think all football players do. But if he is expecting one, that is definitely what we're going to have to see more of. I do put some of the first couple of game struggles on the fact that there sure. were no preseason. I think that games, I think that that is a big part of it. So hopefully they will just improve. From yeah. That. that one pass defense was up against Mike Gesicki in the end zone too. So Ryan Fitzpatrick held out of the end zone for touchdown passes on the day. He does get the one late rushing touchdown, which I don't know why they just let him walk into the end zone, but uh, I, I was <laughs> happy overall with the idea that the defense only gave up field goals really until that point. And that's what helped them stay in the game, despite having the interception in the end zone uh, when he was thrown to DK, despite going for it on fourth down inside the red zone earlier in the game. So those two things took points off the board for the team. But because of the fact that defense was able to hold Miami to field goals instead of touchdowns, it, it really helped keep them ahead this entire game. It is true. And I think Pete Carroll um, kind of addressed this at the be before the game or even earlier in the week 
about the huge numbers that Seattle's defense was giving up. And he's like, yes, they're giving up huge numbers, but you have to look at what they're actually doing even with inside those numbers. And today was a perfect example holding Miami out of the end zone, even though they kept getting down to the red zone after time, after time, after time, you know, that puts up huge numbers for Fitzpatrick. Um, but it doesn't, it says more about the defense of them just completely stonewalling them and, and making them go for field goals. This instead. was though their best defensive effort in terms of yards allowed in a game, 415 yards on the day today. And uh, cause what was it? 460 some uh, in their game two weeks ago. So that's an improvement. <laughs> it, we're getting there. <laughs> Slow mature, they're getting there. You mentioned there. <laughs> that they're playing a young team. It being in Miami, I, I think I covered it in the, the pregame preview that the Seahawks had not won in Miami as a franchise since 1996 when John Freeze was throwing to Joey Galloway and Brian Blades. So it is nice to get a win down in Miami. And and you're absolutely right about this Miami team of of being young and maybe better than than people are giving them credit for. You know, I was listening to your preview on Real Hawk Talk this last week and kind of the pro football focus numbers of the Miami offensive line. And I, I feel like that's deceptive because when I talk to almost every Dolphins fan that I talk to, they were really excited about the youth that they have on the offensive line. It's kind of a work in progress, but they're excited about the pieces that they have in front of them. And so I, I do think that you have to take those numbers sometimes with a grain of salt and say, yes, they, they have the pieces here and, and they would be able to put together a decent game. And they protected Fitzpatrick fairly well in this game. They really did. And I we did a game preview. Um, Lisa Johnson, who is the Outer Football Miami writer, and I, um, we did a game preview. And she said the same thing. Here's the thing. Miami fans have bought into Brian Flores. They understand what he is doing there as a head coach. They understood him gutting that team last year and just, I mean, the mountain of draft picks that they had was just so impressive. And they get that they he is making this his team. He is making them a young team, although... <laughs> Yes, Fitzpatrick <laughs> is his quarterback at 37 years old. But at the same time, they have Tua sitting there just waiting. And you know that he will come along. And so this team is young and hungry and ready to go. They are only going Lots to get better. Lots of young talent on the team. I mean, you look at their first five picks from the 2020 draft, Tua, and then their left tackle, Austin Johnson, who uh, he must have had a good day because we didn't see Alton Robinson really get to the quarterback in this game. Igman who we saw his name out there. He, I don't think he had a terrible game overall. Robert Hunt, the, the guard that they picked up in the draft, and then Raekwon Davis on the defensive line for them. So they have a lot of nice pieces from this draft. You go back to last year's draft and Mike Gesicki, the tight end. It's, it is a good team, a good young team that uh, I think Miami Dolphins fans, you know, as long as Flores tends to, is going to be that coach of the future for them, they, they could have a nice team. It will be a lot of fun. I think they need to fix their rushing, though. When when your quarterback's your top rusher, maybe you need to look at that a little bit. But, but yes, overall, I think they have a, they have a lot. Yeah, to look is that to. the Dolphins' problem, or is that the the Seahawks once again shutting down the run for the most <laughs> really part? Because Gaskin ten carries, forty yards. I don't know. And this game was relatively close throughout the game, so it's not like the Dolphins were that that they had to go through the air in this game and they did really seem to slow this game down in the third quarter felt like each team maybe got three drives each in the second half the way they were eating up clock in the second half so uh, as much as they were moving the ball I don't think they had to go away from the run so do the Seahawks maybe have a good rush defense 
Well, they held Ezekiel Elliott to, you know, 34, was yeah. it 34 yards last week? So, yeah, I think that they do, which is an <laughs> odd thing to say for Seattle once again. I think we're just seeing a shift in this and, and where fans need to make sure that they're not getting too mugged down in the muck is that, you know, in the secondary and, oh, the corners and this, that, and the other. No, we need to get Dunbar back. They get Adams back. Things will be very different. But I think you're right. I think it could be that Seattle strength is stopping the run. Who would have <laughs> I think from thought that? people who know Pete Carroll that is that he wants that. Yeah. But at the same yeah. time, going into the season, I didn't really expect that we had the personnel, you know, Snacks Harrison, people still excited about the idea of him coming in this week and potentially signing with the team. That could be another big pickup if they they want to stay strong in the run game. And I, I guess when you look at the idea, you have Jaron Reed, you have Puna Ford in the middle as your two starting tackles. That makes sense. For sure, without question. And, and you know, those guys that, you know, there was a lot of question marks surrounding this line. And I, I think that some of those question marks have been answered. People aren't maybe as worked up. They, they're still all talking about the pass rush instead, which is probably I have my problems with the pass rush on this game, Dana. <laughs> yeah, me too. Uh, me too. One sack on the day, and it was shared by, you know, the two most prolific pass rushers on the team, Brian Monet and Anthony Rush, <laughs> who shared a sack in this game. <laughs> but they were so excited. <laughs> that was adorable seeing them celebrate together. I have to say they the, were very They get excited. the award for the best bro hug in this game after, after getting that sack. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. And, you know, good for them. I, I Yeah, this Miami line is not good, and, and there should have been more sacks that happened. But, heck, he got his. They got theirs, and good for them. The other part that I wasn't particularly pleased with is that they were – 54% on third down. It felt like maybe it was higher than that, but late in the game, getting third down stops, even third and long stops by this defense, it it just, you felt like they were kind of going to convert. I, I think it's bizarre that, um, that that's where they're struggling because that hasn't always been where they have been struggling before. Seven for 13, the Miami Dolphins were on third down and Miami only forced a punt one time. Now a part of that, you can say, well, they did turn it over a couple times, so it was nice of the defense to get interceptions to turn the ball over. But they only had to punt one time, and it was their second drive of the game where Miami had to punt. You know, this game felt forever long, didn't it? And it was probably because of things like that, where it would take Miami, they get a seven-minute drive down the field for a <laughs> right. And then we... Seattle would turn around and do the same and then maybe get a touchdown or maybe not get a third down convert. And it was just like this game felt very long, like the very drawn especially. out that way. My, my wife fell asleep yeah. because of the, these long drives by the Dolphins. She just she tapped out. And But that goes to show that the defense was also on the field a lot. And so maybe that was part of the reason for some of the mistakes that happened later. Um, but at the same time. You know, because it was, what, 90 degrees, 90% humidity, god-awful, as it always is in Miami. I, I read this thing that was really interesting that said Miami right now, since no one has a full stadium of fans, has the best home field advantage because of oh. the weather. Because it's so hot and so humid or pouring rain. And so, technically, that is going to affect an opposing team since there aren't fans to to affect. And I think that that really came into play. Someone said, oh, the, the defense just looks exhausted. I'm like, yeah, they look hot and uncomfortable, but they had been on the field for so long. They just could not get yeah, off Yeah, and of the course, field. they put the opposing team, the Seahawks, in their blues. They wear their whites to make it even tougher on them. 
And I'm sure that does play into it. I'm sure the travel of the long distance that the Seahawks will ever travel in a season. And when it was, you know, 17 to what, 15 in this game at one point, you're thinking, oh, yeah, maybe this is not looking good. But then two quick touchdowns and, and they're up, you know, 31 to 15 again. Yeah. And, and, you know, that was that was just the beautiful it was a beautiful touchdown that Russell got to pull them ahead. But then that interception by Shaquille, you just felt that they sealed the deal then at that point, even with all the craziness at the end with the weird measurement of the football. And are they going to get for you just knew it. Seattle was done. They had I was trying game. to remember what I was going to talk about to start off this show. And it was the measurement at the end with Chris Carson, because I am sure there are so many Dolphins fans that are going to be that were just screaming at their television set because you could see from the TV camera angle. And we don't know where the, the camera angle was in terms of the, the lines and, and whatnot, where the TV camera was. You could see space between the nose of the football and the, the marker that they brought out with the chains. So uh, I'm sure I'm sure there's going to be Dolphins fans that are going to be just livid. Uh, the fact that the officials called that a first down at the end for Chris Carson. Uh, and and I don't blame them because to be honest with you, I'm not so sure that was a first down. And apparently neither did Jamal Adams because he immediately tweeted, Hey, Hey, you, you, you can't, you know, challenge that. You can't challenge. They can't look at that, that you can't do that. But cause he was like, yeah, let it go. Let it go. Let it go is basically what he was saying. So Seattle did get lucky there. I, I don't know that it would have made a difference in the end with the game anyway, but that was one of those. What what was that when they had the right. index card that they measured? Well, and the with, reason why I bring up the camera is because if the camera is behind, if it's not looking straight down the line, then you have that, right. you know, it, it has that ability visually to, to give you the idea that it may have been short when the official having to look, you know, right over the ball. Uh, so I, I don't know for sure, but I know people are going to be screaming at their television for that one. The question that I had, though, if the official does hold up his fingers and it's like two inches to go, do you think Pete goes for it in that moment? Uh, with as long as his defense had been on the field, I, I think maybe he might have. But who knows? Because half the time I'm like, there's no way he's going to go for that. And then he will. And then you're screaming at the TV half the rest of the time saying, oh, my God, go for it. It's fourth and one. No, here comes Michael Dixon yeah. with the punt it out. So I, I yeah, have just no like idea. earlier, what was the second quarter, right? When it was fourth down inside the red zone and they decide to go for it instead of taking the points. And I still don't, I, I guess I was curious, more curious about the play call in that situation of not having a receiver to throw to quickly in that moment. It makes you wonder if that was when the headsets went out. So it has been told now it's been reported all over that um, the headsets between um, Schottenheimer and Russell Wilson went out, which is Miami is notorious for this. It's not just New England who had a bad rap for this happening all the time up there, too. It actually happens a lot in Miami um, where those headsets will go out. So it makes you wonder, was that the play? So then he couldn't call it. So Russell had to, you know what I mean? So we'll, we'll, it'll be interesting to see exactly the timing of when yeah, it could that explain happened. some of the timeouts in this game coming in in curious moments, too. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, right at the beginning of the second half, like they were just right. a few minutes into the second half, they called that timeout. I couldn't figure it out, but you could tell there was confusion and it makes you wonder if that's when well, it the was. The Seahawks have put up big points now in four straight games. They go on next week to take on the Minnesota Vikings back at home against Kirk Cousins. The Vikings getting their first win of the season against the Houston Texans this week. And man, 
the Texans. I, I, I'm I'm not shocked that they were zero and three after their schedule. That you know, just the gauntlet of teams they faced these first three weeks. But I did not expect them to lose to the Vikings this week. Really, I don't expect them to win a game all season. I I, I will tell you, and it, that sounds terrible. I like that team. I love Deshaun Watson. I love JJ Watt. You know, Whitney oh, yeah. Marshall, I love all, all the players on that players. team. I know it's what's baffling to me is why they don't have a GM. And this is a soapbox for me. So okay. I'm just going to warn you because this drives me insane. That has happened successfully one time in the NFL and it's in new England. Bill O'Brien. I know he's from the Belichick coaching tree, but he needs to have some of that responsibility lifted because he is driving this team into the ground. And I don't see a grand scheme in Miami. You saw the grand scheme of cleaning everybody out you know, knowing you're going to have a credit year because you're racking up all these, all these um, draft picks. That's not happening in Houston. I don't know what they're doing. And it's so frustrating to see a talent like Deshaun Watson be completely wasted, in my opinion, because they cannot get this together. As questionable as the Vikings have been this season, I still had way more faith in that system than I did in Houston. I just, the way the Vikings have been going this year and with all their injuries and then struggling on defense, I thought they'd go on the road again and lay an egg uh, in front of the Texans, especially after the Texans played the Steelers relatively tough through three quarters last week. But now we take on the Vikings. They come to Seattle and that's going to be a primetime game on uh, Sunday night football, right? It is. It's going to be interesting because, you know, Kirk Cousins right now uh, this in this game only had 260 yards and one touchdown. So if Seattle's secondary can get healthy and that that front line can give Cousins some fits, which we'll see, um, yeah, it could be a great game. I, I, I don't see Seattle having a really difficult time with the Vikings, but you have to give credit where credit is due, and they have some really great no, players. Dalvin on Cook, team. one of those players for the Vikings. And oh, yeah. if, uh, you know, we talk about the test of Ezekiel Elliott, here the the run game is going to have another big test with Dalvin Cook coming in. So yes, we even though I I feel like we could say definitively after these first couple of games that we think that there's a, a good defensive line there and a good run stopping game for the Seahawks, we'll know for sure going into the bye week. Right. Yeah. Dalvin Cook had 130 yards today. 130 yards, two touchdowns. He is going to be a problem. But we thought the same of Elliott. So yes. we'll see. I don't know. We can hope. Interesting in that game, I don't know if you saw, though, um, Harrison Smith was ejected for a hit that was somewhat similar that Diggs was ejected for last week. So it's going to be interesting to see how those comparisons, because I watched that hit. I did not think he should have been ejected for it. So um, it'll be interesting to see how the NFL comes out and their explanations of some of those. Yeah, Diggs got a roughness call, unnecessary roughness call in this game, too. And uh, that play over the middle, the low throw over the middle. And I thought he was going for the football, but I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know either, but I will tell you, Pete was hot on the sideline. <laughs> yes, Holy cow. Mask down, screaming at everybody. So it will be interesting to see if Pete gets another fine this week for that mask. But it, um, yeah, you could tell that that, it, that that shouldn't have been called the way it My was. My favorite score running down the scoreboard from the early game. So, Dana, Panthers 31, Arizona Cardinals 21. God, I, I didn't watch any of that game, and, but and, uh, I, I have to imagine. I. I watched a little bit here and there, like during halftime that here's the interesting thing with that. I love yeah. Teddy Bridgewater. I have been a Teddy Bridgewater fan 
since he was in Minnesota. I absolutely adore that kid. I love the way he plays. I've, as a person, he's a fantastic guy. So I, I just really enjoy him. So when I found out he was going to Carolina, I got really excited because I thought that was going to be a good spot for him. Really starting new, new coach, new players, new everything, right? And those first couple games, ooh, I wasn't so sure. But now you can just see him really coming into his own. And the opposite is what we're seeing out of Arizona, where you saw Kyler Murray and that whole entire, you know, with DeAndre Hopkins. And, you know, you saw that offense just clicking, clicking, clicking. I think we maybe had our expectations set too high when they beat San Francisco um, in the first game of the season. We thought, oh, God, the Cardinals are going to be so good. But now they seem the last couple of days getting beat by Detroit, now getting beat by Carolina. You can see um, they're kind of coming back down to yeah, earth a little bit. Defense for the Carolina Panthers wasn't supposed to be all that great. And yet DeAndre Hopkins held in relative check, seven catches, 41 yards on the day. So, uh, yeah, I'm sure they'll allow those short passes to DeAndre Hopkins all day long. <laughs> right. Dana, I really want to thank you for coming on and breaking down this matchup between the Seahawks and the Dolphins. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I, I have such a great time every time I come. A big thanks to Dana O'Gorman for coming back on the show. Check out her work at Our Turf Football. Listen to Real Hawk Talk from the crew over at hawkblogger.com. Once again, the Seahawks get the win 31-23. And like Mookie says in his headline up at fieldgoals.com, a win is a win even if it is ugly. And while you're at field goals, check out Mookie's winners and losers from the game against the Dolphins. Lots of names in the winner column. Shaquille Griffin, Ryan Neal, Ugo Amati, KJ Wright, DK Metcalf, David Moore, Greg Olson, Chris Carson, Travis Homer in the passing game, and Russell Wilson. Check it out, fieldgoals.com. I will be back on Tuesday with Clinton Bonner as we do three in, three out. Follow him on Twitter at Clinton Bon. Use the hashtag 3i3o and tune into that podcast to see if we read your submission for that. Subscribe to the show, sbnation.com slash NFL podcasts. Really looking forward to that show coming up with Clinton. Until then, go Hawks. Go Hawks.